On or about August of 2022, a series of conversations were recorded with a number of researchers and designers who had gathered to reflect on the state of design. These recordings have become known as the Windermere Tapes. Although incomplete, the recordings capture the mood at the time as regards how design, and particularly futures-oriented design, could be brought to bear to invigorate collective action in order to fashion more habitable worlds, circumstances, and conditions. One of the topics discussed pertained to the role of the designer in shaping what design is and does. There were considerations as to a kind of Hippocratic oath for design to ensure it is an ethical service to creating more habitable worlds and to finding a values-based undergirding that was to put the creativity of the human consciousness to the best possible good for the most possible people and that the yield of value that obtains from design be equitably and evenly distributed in a mode that has become known as hyper-collaborative creativity. This is the Near Future Laboratory Podcast, Episode 49. You can support this work directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash nearfuturelaboratory. Patronage comes with exclusive access to the Near Future Laboratory community. Thanks are due to the hard work by the human and non-human handlers in the development group and archives and restoration department for their efforts in restoring the original audio data which has receded significantly due to the inclement conditions in which these data tapes were stored. In this episode, you're listening to the Windermere tapes, which were found in a storage container in sector King Zulu King in the area of the former United Kingdom known as the Lake District. This recording comes from box 050, tape 03. It is a conversation between Paulina Yerman and Julian Bleeker. designer, researcher, and lecturer. Um, my background is in industrial design. I worked in industry for, for a while, and then I started a PhD, uh, which I completed uh, a few months before the start of the pandemic. And the PhD was an exploration on the role of smartphones for mothers for very young children. And uh, in my work, I created a series of artifacts uh, that were very experimental and critical and semi-functional. Uh, they worked within that range and in that spectrum. With critical design, one of the things that I'm, I find really interesting is, in the, especially in the early kind of critical design, uh, it's looking at how users are kind of complicated and contradictory. And I think that's very much reflected in um, expectations about technology, mm-hmm. what they can do. Um, the, the, the desires and the fears around technology. That's something I explored uh, in my PhD. Um, and, um, and I think the task that they gave us to create this little demonstration about our research through something, make, making something that we can show very quickly in one or two days, I think that's, as a short exercise, that's quite interesting because it's quite experimental and um, I'm hoping that what I'll do, I'll be able to poke into these ideas about um, uh, people's fears and desires and dreams about uh, new technologies. Um, 
and um, and how design can um, represent those to some through something visible or tangible and mm. sometimes very uncanny and weird. I like to engage with a kind of with that weirdness. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I think uh, you can use that, especially if it's something very visible, like like a drawing or an object. Um, I think you can really tap onto that weirdness and um, and use it to have conversations with other people. Um, and very often people interpret that in different ways and that reflects their own perspective. So um, that's why ambiguity, I think, is really important because every, everybody can read different things into things, but it's very telling of, of their own perspective. Um, and you might meet somewhere, right? Uh, even Even when you see the same thing. Uh, we see different things, but there must be an area where we can kind of meet and uh, compare ideas or maybe develop new things. Uh, I quite like that. Yeah. And so then for you in, in your practice, how does this fit into, uh, that's the wrong way of saying it, how, what are the ways, what are you hoping the conversations will lead to? So you're creating this, as I imagine, just like looking at some of your work, you're creating this um you know, a, a, you know, a, a designed object, often literally an, an object, a material artifact that pokes and prods and provokes conversations and discussions. And then from those discussions, uh, what, um, what, what interpretation and how are those conversations kind of reflected back into maybe broader other conversations or yeah so I mean I, I the, the way I work I, um, I, so I come from an industrial design my first degree was in engineering and then I went to do industrial design at the RCA and then I worked in industry for many years I worked at Lego and then I worked in design studios in London um, and after I had my uh, my children I went to do my PhD um, and the PhD was very uh, much informed by critical design, speculative design, feminist design, psychoanalysis, feminist psychoanalysis. Um, and so I see spectrum, uh, I see design as a spectrum. And I like to oscillate between two poles, one pole of kind of very kind of practical, solution-based, uh, and then speculative, which is more conceptual, maybe works more in academia. Um, I don't think you. I think you can move between those two poles. Mm. poles. And uh, with my students, I like I like to explore that. I think it's very important to when they come up with an idea to explore the possibilities. What might go wrong? Uh, what uh, What happens if this idea that you have is used in a in a wrong way or misused or mm. uh, all of that? I like to explore, but I don't think that you need to position yourself in a fixed place within that spectrum. You can move around. Um, so with my work, I so sometimes I like the objects I did in my PhD. Some of them were very uh, very critical and not really functional. They were just um, good triggers for conversations right. about practices that were often very private, but they really enabled people to to have that conversation because they showed something that often was uncomfortable and uh, maybe hidden. So design can do that. Design can give a, a visual tangibility to ideas or things or feelings or experiences. And um, once it's out there, then you can use it to have conversations and people will interpret that in different ways. Um, so what I did with that, uh, with those conversations, it, it enabled me to understand how people 
experience certain things, certain technologies, especially in, um, in spaces that are very emotionally charged, where they see technologies as very intrusive, for example, or incompatible with that. So my work was about um, mothers with very young children and how they related to smartphones, which they saw as something very intrusive, but at the same time, uh, very useful. Um, so I kind of I like really like to explore this kind of ambivalent relationship mm. with it. Um, yeah, and I think I think design can do that. Design can visualize those experiences. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you can use that to then you can have those conversations, and those conversations can be uh, can reflect those experiences or those feelings that we we all have about these technologies that we don't understand very well and are really becoming part of our lives and we have all these um, imaginaries about them we project fears we project desires sometimes very unrealistic um, about what they do what they can do um, in our lives um, i think i find those very interesting yeah those i get it what I, i'm fascinated by uh, you the way in which you kind of represented the the spectrum and the importance of kind of being able to move across that spectrum. Um, what what does that look like, like practically speaking? Can you give an example of how you do? Because oftentimes I, I it's um, so I think we have we have a very similar template of kind of professional development. I started at electrical engineer, and then when I did my master's, it was kind of like slowly, kind of moving more towards. Uh, I guess you'd say like critical creative practice and then a PhD that was, that was, um, you know, learning about how to, uh, how to think about what it is, you know, essentially the, how objects make us think about the world and not just assuming as the engineer does, there's the object in the world and it's, it's got a certain instrumentality. Engineers make things that are tool like, um, and not always necessarily thinking about the, let's just say, like implications of the tool on shaping the consciousness beyond what it's meant to do. Yeah. Um, and then and then gradually learning on the, the that there's a that there's another end. Um, and then so I guess also the other part of the trajectory is how do we um, uh, thinking about the way in which uh, working in industry and the, the struggle that I always had in the working with industry was being able to insert the conversations from let's think about what we're making and not in the sense of uh, and not in the kind of commercial instrumental sense in other words does it fit within what we project the marketplace will be receptive to um, does it, it um, are the material costs going to be such that we can make enough money doing it all those kinds of typical questions to where the questions about the like, let's just call it like the critical questions yeah. well there's many so many types of of being a designer. I mean, it's a it's such a general term, right? I mean, it, I think here a lot of people call themselves designers, but we all have different understandings of what design is, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think it's important to recognize that and that different designers will do the same, maybe the same brief in very different ways. Um, I think that when the people say anyone can be a designer, I think they're different. They're probably talking in a kind of more general way. I mean, there are certain, you know, problem solving or 
empathy or certain things that we all have uh, we can all do like children can design something or they can feel empathy and come up with something but then there's a certain craftsmanship and skills that you do, do need to develop if you want to work as a designer in an industry and yeah that's the thing isn't yeah it? and yeah. if the people who do that really well um, they they do that because they've done that for many years and they've learned to use certain tools or certain skills or they're very good at translating ideas into something very visible, very tangible or an experience. Um, um, and they, they do know what they're talking about, right? Uh, it's not just uh, concepts and ideas, it's a, it's a transformation of, of, uh, of something into something very, very tangible. Um, I think that is the, the, the transformative value of design. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be physical. Sometimes it's just an experience or a, a visual thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, lately, I've been taken to to considering that the analogy for me is uh, the, there's this wonderful bookstore in nearby me in Los Angeles, and it's um, highly curated. That's that kind of bookstore with the suitably uh, aloof and grumbly, you know, book minder guy. It's really lovely to mm -hmm. just kind of browse through. And, but they'll have a, in the front, they'll have the selections or just like little groupings of books. Um, and I remember one time I was like, man, this is a funny little set of books that they have. And there were maybe like three or four hardback books on, on magic. And there was one that I just found, uh, I saw it once, I was kind of like, man, I would, I would love that book. I had something about it that was drawing me to it. And it was, it was, the title was something like, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the um, magician's guide to, you know, every trick uh, with 203 illustrations. And I found that part where it said like the illustrations, I found that absolutely fascinating. And I just kind of flipped through it and I was like, this is kind of cool. You know, it's showing hands doing things and then the, there's like a description and it's quite a thick book it's um, maybe 250 pages and I was like that's kind of really cool and I, and I thought about it and for like a couple of weeks I thought I was like I want to go back and get that and part of it I think was pulling from I realized later it's like yeah that's right back back when you were like I don't know seven or eight you wanted to be a magician and I remember I had like a um I, I believed in it in the same way that you believe in some of the weird things in the back of the comic book, mm -hmm. like x-ray glasses and all these kinds of things. And I believed in it, I was like, okay, well, if I just, if I just get the material, like that'll be it. And I had like a magic wand that would go floppy and these kinds of things. And I wanted to be a magician and I was enthralled more by the, the, by feeling that it was a real thing. And it just happened to be called magic. And that if you invested some energy into it, you could actually become a magician. And for me, it wasn't, uh, at the time, it wasn't that there was, it wasn't sleight of hand, it was actually being able to affect the material world to make things mm. like this happen. It was... Um, so do you think there's some parallels there with being a designer? So this, this is the thing, I, it, it became an analogy for me, uh, you know, now, like, kind of, you know, obviously, um, I understand magic in a different way, but I also understand it almost in that same way that, that, and also having gone to like a couple of like, um, um, you know, over the years, just, um, I remember it was at a, at a, um, a friend's kind of cocktail party and they actually had a magician there 
who is doing close-in magic. So, you know, cocktail party and someone, someone comes up to you and they start doing it. And I just remember being like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. That, that feel, I felt it. I, you know, and I didn't, I was able to, my first instinct was, was awe. Like, my, I just, my mouth is open. I was just like, that's amazing. And it was like, and also realizing, I, you know, that it wasn't black magic. It wasn't like real, like, wow, this crazy stuff. It was more, it was, it was that this person had put me in a, in a state of mind for a moment that lasted. You know, the party was just kind of like, wow. Did you guys see that guy? He's amazing. Mm. That that was was very different from what I. It was just such a beautiful feeling that someone had uh, clearly practiced this to the degree that that they generated this sense of like awe and wonder in me. And so, you know, that's kind of lived with me for a while. And there's, there's also, um, you know, there's all, the other curious side of it is I'm fascinated by people who just want to know how it works. They don't want to be fooled in a way. It's like, well, show me what. Yeah, uh, let me see up your, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, just let go, like, let it be magic. So the, the, with, the, with the book and with, with your question about, like, you know, how do I think about it in the context of design, I started trying to find the language to say that uh, there are aspects of design that, in this context, are a bit like that. There's some people who are really amazing at it to where you are in awe. Like, how did you get there? Mm. How were you able to, you went from this to this? But, I, you know, and, and, and how, how did that happen? How did you go, you know, transit that? You, you don't also, share the trick, if, especially if you're in industry, you don't share the trick. Well, you don't share the trick because it's proprietary, yes, right? It's like the that's magic. Right. That yeah. is the thing. It's like, you know, with David Blaine or like any magician in Vegas say like, okay, after the show, if you want to come back, I'm going to show you how everything, how I did everything. Like, yeah. They don't do that. No, they don't do that. I think in industry, they don't do that. There's this, I think it's not always the case, but this idea that, in research, you share your knowledge, right? Mm. You share how you did it. But I don't think people share everything because they also want to be unique, right? Yeah. So when they write a paper about how they... I mean, obviously, I'm talking about design research. I'm not talking about all the, um, all the types of research. But um, they, they only tell part of the story sometimes. Um, and also, you don't want to share everything of how you do it because you want to keep doing it and you also want to be the person <laughs> doing yeah, that. The special to, to magician. Be, right, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so I think everybody has their own tricks of how they do things and they don't share everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just building on it, the fascinating thing I found about this book was that it it kind of lures you in because it's going to tell you, I'm gonna, and I'm going to show you how to do it. And it probably does. I mean, it probably says, like, this is the technique for doing this particular kind of card trick. Uh, what I found, like, really, really funny especially thinking in the context of um, that same kind of way of condensing what the magic of design is into like, if you just do our three week course, you too will be a magician. You too will be a designer. Um, and the fact that they, you know, the, the illustrations and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a, you know, I'm sure there are lovely things about the book that if you just see what the hands are doing, then you'll have it figured out. And, it, I just find that funny. It's almost like I will show you my special technique, and then at the end of this, you know, seminar, uh, after you've given me the five thousand dollars, you you'll be able to do that same trick. Yeah, but sometimes you see that, like, um, sometimes I see presentations that 
just a, a very basic slide presentation, right, in a, in a conference. And you have, uh, sometimes they're done by somebody who works uh, maybe in graphic design, but they've done this for years. They're very good with typography. And the presentations are beautiful. And they just do that very uh, intuitively and very quickly. And, you know, and there's... And you think, how do they do that? And it's because they've done it all their lives and all they're very good at that. Yeah. But they know what, how to do things really, really well. Yeah. Um, and I think some, you know, attention to detail is important. It does make a difference. Yeah. And I think that's, that's, the, that's I guess that's the, the, the final insight that I had from that, the whole magic analogy is that the, the, beauty, the, the thing that I find awesome about really well done magic or design is obviously the the you know the feeling that you have once you once you it's revealed once you're shown mm -hmm. the trick uh, or once you're shown the um, the the out the outcome the output that a designer or design team yeah um, has like I when I see that I think it's beautiful like I see yeah. those examples yeah and it it feels like magic it feels like magic yeah. and uh, and also a, a very deep sense of Kind of like it's almost like joy seeing the what the human consciousness is able to do an example of it mm. uh, in superlative form i guess it's, it's probably the same thing as a similar kind of feeling that uh, one might have at watching a superlative athlete mm -hmm. do what they do it's like wow look at the, what 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 this this person so yeah. is capable of doing and you also you look at it and you know it's like they didn't just wake up doing that. Mm -hmm. They invested a, a, a particular kind of energy and commitment and persistence and perseverance. And imagine all the, uh, possibly the adversity that they faced, the struggles that they went through. Mm -hmm. the, it's almost like looking at, looking at an example of what the human consciousness can achieve with, with, with commitment. Mm. With a sense of commitment, dedication, and not giving up. Mm. It basically comes to not giving up. And that's where I feel that sense of like, wow, if we can do that, maybe there's hope. Mm. If, we can, if, we can, if we can organize ourselves in a way to kind of have that level of, that same level of commitment and the same sense of like, we're going to get this thing done. I think the magic, uh, I mean, it's an interesting thing and also... Um, how we imagine things. I think very often my role is to listen and work out the idea. The same process goes through writing or drawing or making. You know, you're trying to work out what it is that you, that you, what uh, sense you're trying to make. Then, because I'm name, I'm making a shopping list mm -hmm. of what this thing that I've made, which is like a, this very model, very basic model. This is what it would do. And I'm, this is my idea. You have to make. You have to try it, even if it fails. You have to. How would it do it? Show me rather than tell me, right? Um, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of. It's not just relying on the imagination and my imagination and the audience's imagination. It's also um, trying very often, unsuccessfully, and successfully to give it some form of tangibility to this imagined idea rather than spoken it or in my head, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's very, very hard to do. Um, what, and what's hard of, about it? Mm, it's very hard to translate all these ideas. I mean, the, the world is perfect when you imagine it. The idea that you have in your head is, is, uh, is 
perfect because it's out there. It's not. It's not out there in the world yet. It's right. just. Uh, it's perfect. It's the difficulties when you try to make it. It's so hard, and this is this difficulty is based on the materials you might have, the time, the skills. If you know, um, and and it it takes a lot of work to develop those skills, and that's why the, those people who make things really well translate yeah. those ideas, whether it's graphically or uh, uh, through a model or what. Uh, uh, if they do it really well, it's because they've done it for many, many years. Right. Um, that, and that's the craft again. Yeah, exactly. In a very material sense. Uh, yeah, craftsmanship yeah. to that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not relying on the what you imagine and what you're saying that it might do, but also translating that somehow. Even if in that translation there's a lot that you lose, but I think sometimes it's better to, to try that and once it's out there, you think, oh, okay, that's really interesting. I find that quite powerful to imagine that because it also allows you to, you know, as you're doing, open up the conversation about the craft of it and that the translation isn't just a, it's not just a, you push a button and it happens. It's like, okay, so how should I represent this thing? Mm. What is the material I want to use? Is mm. it going to come out of a block of wood? Is it going to come from a drawing? Is it going to come from a, you know, any number of a possible forms of digital Programming is going to come from, actually, I'm going to say it out loud mm -hmm. and in, enter it into a conversation with someone else and see what kind of comes back mm. and what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's an experience, is it in a room? Are you standing up? Are you sitting down? I mean, there's just so many ways of doing that. And each of those will have a different outcome and a different experience. And, yeah. Yeah. And the only way to do it is by trying it out, not just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also accepting... Um, the not knowing and the being uncomfortable, mm. especially at the beginning of a project. If you've done it many times, then you know it's okay. It's okay. I'll deal with it. I know something will will happen. That's right. Uh, stay with that, um, and that it that takes a lot of practice. And um, so when you st at the start of a, of a career in design, it's it's very very hard. Uh, because you don't know, and sometimes uh, you want other people to tell you, or you go back to. Um, something that's more familiar that you've done before but it's just engaging with that with that weirdness with that uncertainty and but it's actually there can be a lot of uh, interesting things staying there uh, it's uncomfortable but I think after a while it's you know that it's actually there's a lot of interesting stuff that comes out with from there and working with other people who are also comfortable with that yeah. is really interesting um yeah, so I think a lot of kind of creative work, design work, design research, design and research is about engaging with that weirdness, right? Um, like for example, with the, when you're doing a PhD, every time somebody asks you what you're doing, it's a different <laughs> description of what it is, and it depends what you're working on at that time, and um, because you're trying to make sense of what it is somehow. Uh, but it's fine. It's fine. That's that's how you develop things, and yeah. it's never finished as well. Yeah. I find in my own um, practice that I, I find a certain sense of like joy and satisfaction in doing things that almost feel uh, that I don't know anything about, uh, and it might be a quite mundane thing. In order to almost like get that feeling of like learning something new. And I'm talking about like really mundane stuff. I'm talking about like, 
uh, bookkeeping or talking to my accountant mm -hmm. and, and, just trying to, and, and literally trying to understand the nuances of what they do. Or sometimes it's just, um, you know, having worked on the house, just like talking with a contractor about something they're doing. Not that I'm ever going to want to do it necessarily, but just understanding where is the craft in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Like where, where, you know, are you, are you hoping to be, to obtain some level of mastery over mm -hmm. this or just seeing what they're doing and how they're doing it and just even noticing yeah. how the way in which they do it. Do they, does this person look like they care about what they're doing? Mm -hmm. Can I tell that in some way in which they're putting down tile, yeah. the grout for the tile or yeah. that kind of thing? What, what vocabulary they've developed yeah. for the things that they do. Yeah, I find that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. A certain recognition that there, that there are other areas where craft is respected and, and desired and people work towards it. Um, and also knowing what it looks like when you see like, oh, that person doesn't care about what they're doing. Um, I'll often apply that, that term if I see something that, it, particularly within design, doesn't look like, it'll be like, it doesn't seem like anyone cares. I almost say that back. I'm thinking, I mean, it's, they're very easy yeah. examples. It's like, I, I just, I think, um, I don't know what's going on in Adobe. I haven't known for like the last 20 years. But you'll see something, it's like, does anyone care about this? I don't think anyone cares. You almost see it as a symptom of a kind of festering issue within an organization. Sometimes like considering like what is going on in design organizations is, is like a very light hobby. Like I, don't, I think they had something, but now I don't think they care anymore. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like it, it's gone to, like there's a trajectory within design organizations where it starts out with a certain level of like love and commitment and genuine desire. And then at some point, you know, maybe after a couple of mergers or acquisitions, it's just like, they're just, it's just a, it's just an algorithm running. Mm -hmm. It'll be purple next year, you know, and it, it doesn't feel like anything has kind of evolved or that there is a soul left anymore, mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think care is the key word there, yeah. Mm -hmm. You're paying attention. Are you paying yeah. attention? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find it really interesting working with people in other fields as well. Uh, I think there's quite a lot of parallels and um, I quite like doing that, finding the um, engaging with un uncertainty and uh, together with them. And then you realize actually we're not that different. Somehow mm. we find uh, ways to get through <laughs> somehow. Uh, I think that's, yeah, I find that very interesting. But also the question about the, the care, you know, and why, the people who care, why do they care? What drives them towards that, you know, that's also quite interesting. Um, yeah. What are the reasons? Where are they coming from? Yeah. What experiences have they had that feeds them to that, yeah. towards that? What, what's in their DNA mm. that... Yeah, maybe, and, and maybe that's the thing that, yeah, I don't know what that is. Like, you want to, 
a characteristic beyond kind of technical ability and maybe technical ability, mechanical ability, just like what you're able to do comes from that unnameable place where it's like they just, they, they have a certain drive to make things that people will care about. They want to touch people. They want to create meaning through these ideas that they have, that they have this remarkable ability built up over time to translate into some kind of material form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's part of what it means to be, you know, have attained a certain level of craft mastery. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think different people develop different uh, skills because they find a language that works for them to translate those ideas into something tangible for others to see or experience, and um, that language speaks to them in a, in a particular way. Um, and again, that goes back to, you know, why they care or, or where they're coming from, why does that speak to them? And there's a number of things. Maybe it's their perspective or where, where they come from. Also, maybe it's how they've learned to those skills or maybe the time and resources they've got available or where they mm -hmm. are in the world and, and so on. Um, but yeah, but that's why design is so diverse as well, right? There's many ways of translating those ideas or developing those languages for, for those ideas, yeah. right? We're all trying to make sense somehow, find meaning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I see these, like this spectrum of ways of sense making, of making sense of the world, of of telling, of, of interpreting both what is going on, you know, it's like helping to create understanding. It's kind of like the epistemology thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm making knowledge. Well, why are you making knowledge? I'm making knowledge because I want to understand the world. And then also, I guess, you know, maybe for some of us here, but also I think probably many people, but probably don't necessarily think of it this way as also trying to understand where we're going. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where the kind of uh, speculative design and design fiction and futures design, that whole catalog of things I feel are trying to interpret the world or interpret what possibility, what could, what could be. Mm -hmm. And... There was a there was a map that I started drawing that came from a, a kind of map that Elliot Montgomery drew, and it was very simple, just kind of like blobs of things along a spectrum, from art to strategy. And for him, it was just it was a question that his, some of his students had, uh, who were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, all the speculative design, design future stuff. It just seems like anything could be that." And so he drew this map to just trying to help them situate it and locate right. it. And so there was like big blob of color that in, in it just, just said art and big blob of color over here and in it said like strategy so it was it was along the spectrum and he said you know kind of like then there's a bunch of things in the middle that are almost like uh connective in a way that was you know speculative design and he was being very careful to say like this isn't this is just interpretive. This is just something you kind of look at, squint your eyes, and okay, kind of. Mm -hmm. It's helping me figure out, as you know, for a student, where this stuff fits and what it's used for. And I, at first time I saw that graph, I was kind of like, I was a little bit like, kind of like, ah, okay, whatever. And then when I went back to it years later, it actually was super helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the helpful part was that I, I saw that all the things in this 
were were ways of making sense of the world, mm -hmm. interpreting the world. And so, you know, art, and there's a way of looking at art as interpretation of the world as either, you know, seen or experienced or everything from like really super didactic things like, oh, there's a, you know, a, a, um, uh, a painting of a historical moment. There's a beautiful fresco of our relationship to God. And it's a way of kind of looking at it and saying like, okay, now I understand the things that I'm sort of feeling or hearing or experiencing in the world, if it's, if it's protest art or if it's whatever it is. And so I was like, okay, I get it. It's almost like now it's like, at, you know, 20 years later, I get what I was supposed to get in art history in college kind of thing. And then on the strategy, you know, kind of side strategy, policy, kind of very evidence-based ways of interpreting the world. If you, in my interpretation of it, I started digging into that and I was like, there's everything in here from financial forecasts to, uh, to um, you know, a report that, some, that McKinsey produces about the future of IoT or smart homes or mm -hmm. telecommunications or transportation. These are all ways that they are doing to interpret the world mm -hmm. and help someone who's maybe in a position to either enact a policy or determine a strategic yeah. direction for a company. That's all over there. Mm -hmm. And then as you start, you know, in this graph, as you start moving from right from the strategy side to the art side, then you have all these other me mechanics for doing that. You have, you probably remember the time when all of a sudden anthropologists started showing up in industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you had like kind of ethnography, mm -hmm. which is, you know, another way of interpreting, making sense of the world amongst a community of, uh, you know, of, of social yeah, scientists yeah, who yeah. have been trained yeah. to listen and interpret and sort of reflect back you know, I hear this from this community, and this is maybe what it means in terms of their way of making sense of the world across culture, religion, uh, social formations, family, all these kinds of things. Um, and then that became within industry, uh, and, and certainly policy and probably, you know, strategy, a whole bunch of different levels. Another way, help me make sense of what's going on amongst my consumers. So now you have like consumer studies, you have like market research, you have user focus groups, and that's all moving into this slightly less purely evidence and, and maybe purely scientific. It's interpretive, getting closer to that feeling of like art, mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, yeah, well, that's one person's opinion. Yeah, just add it to the mix. You know, it's, it's another thing to go along with that. Um, and we're going to throw a whole bunch of things at you to help you make sense, you know, for the strategy and policy person in government or whatever about what's going on. And when you get to government, of course, the other ways of interpreting and making sense of the world are like, uh, what do they do? Um, you know, they do surveys, right? They, they'll, they'll, you know, you know quite, quite yeah. routinely, regularly yeah. to understand what's the temperature of the electorate. What are they feeling? What do they want? What do they hope for? And can we influence that? Um, let's let's create other let's do other um, ways of helping them make sense of the world through campaign slogans through posters, through advertising campaigns, through, uh, as, as Tobias mentioned, which I thought was really incisive, uh, world building in the form of conspiracy theories. So that was his kind of take on it. Like the, you know, his, his take was like the, Reddit, the, the, um, the right is masterful at doing speculative design. They maybe are the best because uh, they are able to create, create a world that people can invest so much into that they feel that the world, that's the world, mm -hmm. that's what's going mm -hmm. on. And then when you get to maybe this, you know, the research, 
through design, design fiction, speculative design, it is also doing that, maybe with a different set of ethics. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not trying to really fool people. We're trying to make them feel into possible, very oftentimes very, very many possible futures. This is what a world could look like um, and doing it through different means and mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And so that's, why was I saying all that? Um, there yeah, we are forms talking about of sense, sense making. making. Sense yeah. making, yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, the, the research part is, you know, what do you do, do you do with that information afterwards? Do you apply it somewhere? Or uh, do you design something and then see afterwards what happens with that design that's out there in the world? Right? right. Because you're not just staying there in the world of ideas. I think that the design also has to has have an element of where it goes out into the world, where you see other people trying with it and see what effects it has, what impact it has on people's lives. And um, yeah, but I guess all of that is within that spectrum of where you move and where you want to stay. And, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Paulina. Thank that you. Was, uh, that was a All right, there she goes, Paulina Yerman. Super fun conversation yes. with her. I really enjoyed nice. meeting with her and chatting with her. Uh, there was. It was it just came through an introduction I didn't know beforehand, and it was it was just super nice to meet her and have sit and and talk and and just think that it would be really important to kind of capture some of her thinking and the things that we were thinking about together there at the research through design jamboree. So I hope you enjoyed that. Okay, that was episode forty nine. I'm imploring you, please support the podcast and the newsletter over on Patreon.com/slash Near Future Laboratory. Your support really does help. It means a lot, and it makes me feel like we're definitely on track for something, which I really feel that we are. So having more people along for this is uh, is something that I'm I'm really feeling needs to be done. Okay, I'm tired. All right, I'm Julian, and I'm out. <laughs>